It's not perfect. But it's awful close. Amen. <laughs> oh, I love you guys. I missed you so much last week. I appreciate Pastor DJ filling in. Heard he did a great job. And appreciate uh, Pastor T filling in as well. I was sick Wednesday night. All kinds. I, I think the, uh, I got sick when I got over to Texas. I think the Lord's trying to tell me just stay out of there. Amen. Amen. So, um, well, I just miss you guys so much when I'm not here. So it's good to see you. And I want to invite your attention to the book of Titus to begin with this morning. The book of Titus, chapter 3, and then the book of Jeremiah. If you'll find those two places, that would be great. Jeremiah in the 18th chapter. We're going to look there in just a minute, okay? <clears throat> we have been in a series on the Holy Spirit called The Helper. And this is actually the sixth lesson in this series. We're going to be closing it out soon, uh, but right now we're going to take a look at the restoring work of the Holy Spirit. Each week we're looking at a different type of work that the Holy Spirit does, and this is a very important one. You ever feel like you just need to be restored? And maybe you're there today, I don't know what your circumstance is and where you're at in life. Uh, whether you've just come back to the Lord, whether you are tired and weary and the devil's trying to tempt you to cause you to slide away from the Lord. But sometimes we just need to recharge and refresh and be restored. And the one who's in charge of that, if you are saved, is the Holy Spirit. Can I get an aha or an amen? So important. So we're going to take a look at a text here in Titus. And just before we do that, let's pray together. Some of you may have heard this morning that our family pastor, our children's pastor, Brother Josh Clifton, was taken to the ER early this morning. He's having some uh, major issues uh, caused by a virus that he uh, contracted that's going around right now. It's caused him to become dehydrated. And I can't pronounce it correctly, but because of his diabetes, it's, um, how do you say it, keystone, something, ketone? Say it again. We speak in tongues around here, apparently. I don't know. I need an interpreter. So any, anyway, it's pretty serious from what I hear. So let's pray because it has, uh, he has had uh, some problems with the ketones. Am I saying that correct? Okay, good. Looking at our, our medical people, straighten me out. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, Lord, and we pray for the Holy Spirit's work today. God, I thank you so much for this wonderful church family that you've assembled. And Lord, as we gather around your word, we pray that we'll hear from you, Lord. We pray that the Holy Spirit will be powerful and personal. And Lord, today we pray for your healing hand, Lord, on Brother Josh. We lift him up to you, Lord. We know that you are aware of his situation. And God, we ask you to bless the doctors and nurses as they minister to him. Lord, we have others I know that are sick and some that are hurting, Lord, that just need your touch. And so we lift them up to you, God, and we just ask now again your blessings on us. And Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray somehow, Lord, through all of this, they will come to understand how much you love them and how Jesus died for them. And Lord, he rose from the dead and he gives to them eternal life if they'll ask for it. And I pray, God, today you'd help us to see somebody saved. And Lord, I pray you restore us. Give us strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. All right, here's what we're going to do. Take a look at Titus chapter 3 with me. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 3. If you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. All right, verse number 3. <clears throat> For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, 
serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Don't you love that? I just love that text. Paul said, Titus, this is how we used to be. But then when we encountered the love of God, when we encountered what Jesus did for us, when we encountered the kindness of God toward us, all that changed. He said, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration, now notice this phrase, and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, earlier in our study, we talked about the regeneration, the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, and how he takes that dead spirit of ours that we were born with. We were born dead in sins and trespasses, right? That's what the Bible says. And he gives us life. He gives us new life. He, he causes us to live again. That's the resurrected life. And it's a wonderful teaching. But now I want to look at that other portion of that statement. Not only is regeneration, but the Bible says he renews. It's the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You're probably familiar with it, no doubt. Psalm chapter 23, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I want to focus in on that. He restores my soul. What does it mean to be restored? And how do we get to the place that we actually need it? I think that's a valid question. What, what has happened? What's caused us to need the restoration work of the Holy Spirit? Maybe if we can figure out what causes it, we can uh, uh, help delay the need. In other words, we can go stronger uh, with the Lord and in the Lord for a period of time. In, in Jeremiah chapter 18, we have this great passage that most of us know as the story of the potter's house. I'd like for you to look there with me because there's a phrase there that is the exact same Hebrew word that we just read in Psalm 23. When the psalmist said, he restores my soul, he uses the Hebrew word shub, shub. And now Jeremiah uses it, but he, he, it's translated a little differently for us. So I want you to look there with me. Jeremiah 18 verse number 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. Now, I'm reading from the New King James. In the Old King James, it uses the plural word, wheels. And I find that interesting. I'm going to talk about that just briefly in a minute with you to get a better picture, but... But keep that in mind. So he's making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again. He made it again. That's the same word shub in the Hebrew. He restored it, the Bible says. Into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. 
Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. We're going to make the application to us today, uh, not the house of Israel, but we want to take a closer look at this. To restore literally means, the word shub, to recover, to refresh, or to make new. To recover, to refresh, or to make new. If you're taking notes, and I appreciate so much the ministry of our people who make sure those notes are available to you, so you can just kind of fill in the blank and go as you like, um, then uh, I do appreciate that. There are many types of restoration. How many of you are, have, have uh, dabbled with types of restoration? For instance, furniture restoration. Have you ever restored furniture, anybody? Okay, great. Yeah. How about automobile restoration? Now, there's one for you. I bought a 1965 Mustang for my daughter, and uh, how about that, amen? Don't get excited. I said, look, all I want is I want a complete car. That's what I want, and I'm going to work on This was when I was in Texas, and when I was really stupid. I'm, uh, I'm not real bright now, but I was dumber then, and... Uh, so I bought this car. I got this car delivered to the house. I said, look, I just want to make sure it's all intact. You know what I'm saying? It's just got to all be there. Because I can take off a part and I can put on a part, right? I'm not the world's greatest mechanic, but I can figure it out. I'll do this thing. So, so I bought this thing. It sat in my driveway for years, man. And uh, it was a money pit. I just kept writing checks and buying parts. And uh, it was terrible. And when I found out the power of the 289 engine, she did not get that car. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, that thing had a lot of power, and the car didn't weigh anything. Those of you know what I'm talking about, those 65 Mustangs. It was originally canary yellow, and I mean, it would have been really nice, but uh, I couldn't get that puppy restored, and I tried. And, and one of the things I ran into was uh, uh, the, uh, some of the parts on it, they were there, but they were the wrong parts. It had a 1968 steering link on the front of it. Well, you can't steer a 65 uh, Mustang with a 68 steering link. It's too long. It won't turn. So they had put all kinds of parts on. Reminded me of the old Johnny Cash song. Some of you might remember that old song. I got it one piece at a time. He worked at the Cadillac factory and he brought home a piece at a time in his lunchbox and he put it together and it was a 1950, 51, 52, 50, it was a year. I had the Mustang version of Johnny Cash's Cadillacs, what I had. I was, I was, it was terrible. I pulled off a part. I took it into the Mustang parts place. I said, this is what I need. He said, you got a 68 Mustang. I said, no, I don't. He said, well, that's what that is. And it, had some, it was terrible. So, so anyway, you tried your hand at, at, at some of that um, uh, restoration type work. There's dental restoration. Maybe you've had some work done. There's home restoration. You fix up your house. We, uh, we had a horrible fire in uh, our church building over in Texas, 3 o'clock in the morning, and a company shows up on the spot. They were a fire and water damage restoration company. Translated, you pay them a lot of money is what that amounts to. And uh, they take all your insurance money. But um, anyway, it was kind of crazy. So restoration, we're familiar with what that means when it comes to restoration. On your computers, if you do Windows, you have something called System Restore. How many are familiar with that? Yeah, and you can go in there and if, you're, if you've got a problem and, and you, you've encountered a difficulty and your computer's crashed, in most cases you can go in, you can set the date as to when you want that thing to return to that time. Isn't that wonderful? Wouldn't that be great in life? 
Huh? If God just equipped you with a system restore and you could just pick a day, boom, and you'd like to, let's go back. Some of you men would do that with things you said to your wife. You're thinking, I'd like to go back now a day and, and act like I didn't say that and, and you'd be better off. But, but system restore. For a, for a believer, we have the opportunity. Now there are consequences, I understand, but there, we have an opportunity to be restored. The Spirit of God will restore us. And so I want to focus in on this with you. There are all kinds of Bible examples of restoration. One of my favorite happens to be the story of Naaman. You remember old Naaman the leper? And how he comes seeking some kind of advice about how to get rid of his leprosy. And he's told just dip seven times in the river Jordan. He doesn't want to do it. And there's so many great stories about that. And, and he goes and he finally obeys. And the seventh time he comes up. Now you got to remember he is the captain of the host. He's the guy. He's the general of the Syrian army. And he comes up with skin like a baby. And I, I've always been tickled at that. We don't know for sure he was ever called baby face Naaman. But I think he probably was. <laughs> but not to his face. But um, he was one fierce warrior dude to have baby skin. But, but that's what the Bible says. And then there's New Testament examples as well. Where you've got the man with the withered hand in the, in the uh, synagogue. Remember that story? And Jesus tells him to stretch out his hand. And the Bible says it was restored. Remember the blind man who came to Jesus and Jesus did some stuff to his eyes. He said, do you see now? And he said, I see men as trees. And then he touched him again. And the Bible says he was restored. His vision was restored. So there are all kinds of things concerning this in the scriptures and in real life for us to make applications with. But let's do this. Let's look at the potter's uh, house for just a minute. And I want to give you just a few things as we, as we pick this apart in Jeremiah. Number one, if you want to write it down, let's look at the potter's hand. The potter's hand. When you think about the potter's hands, you think about them working and molding and, and, and pushing and applying pressure and pulling and, and taking some water and applying it. When the Bible uses the term wheels, I found this interesting. Uh, years and years ago, my family, uh, we were missionaries to Australia and uh, Sydney uh, has outside of the, the town of Sydney a little place called Old Sydney Town. An old Sydney town is, how many of you been there? Anybody? Oh, wow. Cool. Great. Okay. Old Sydney town is set up like the, the settlement was uh, back in the day when they first came over. And they have uh, this person working on a pottery wheel. And so I walked over to it and, and we're standing there and they're trying to display to us what life was like in old Sydney town. And so I noticed that something was going on, but I couldn't quite tell what, because they had this little curtain uh, out in front of the person doing the work. So I walked over to the side and looked, and her leg on the back side was just to go into town, man. She had that thing like this, and she was kicking the wheel underneath, and it was turning the wheel that was on the top. And this passage of Scripture came to my mind. And I thought to myself, the wheels... It makes sense. What you see is what's happening on the top wheel. But there's something else happening that you can't see. And, and I really just had a moment where the Lord spoke to my heart and I want to pass it on to you. And just keep this in mind that God is at work in ways that you don't always see. He's doing stuff behind the scenes. And he's doing it to make you a finer vessel. That's his intent. I, I read this text and I, I, I learned that the Bible says that the vessel was marred, look at it verse 4 with me, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred, and notice this, in the hand of the potter. Let me say this to you, 
You can be marred in the hand. You are not being marred by the hand. There are a lot of people that blame God for stuff. I want you to listen carefully because this is how we end up sometimes in need of restoration. There are things that happen in our life, in a tragic world that we live in, in a world that is riddled with sin, in a world that is unredeemed, in a world that we don't understand because we know that God is able to do anything. We expect God to do everything. We expect him to somehow change the fact that we are in an unredeemed world. And that day will come. It's just not here yet. So we do end up with disease. We do end up with complications and problems. We do end up with heartache and difficulties. But we are not to blame God. It is not being marred by the hand of God. It is being marred while in the hand of God. It's important for us to understand the difference. We think about being marred. That's an interesting phrase. It, we, we have, something has happened to it. It's perhaps folded in. It, it, it can't be used anymore the way that it is. It has to be reworked. It has to be reshaped. Something has happened. When I, when I think of this, obviously the ultimate application is what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. Can I get an aha? Uh-huh? God made man, put him in the garden, walked with man, fellowshiped with man. He was, if you will, in the hand of God. But while he was in the hand of God, he made a decision. And the decision was that they were going to disobey God. And thus sin entered into the world. So mankind, if you will, was marred while in the hand of God. God then had to do something and he did that. He gave his son to die on the cross that we might have forgiveness of our sin. Aren't you thankful he did that? And if you're here today and you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that he gave his only son for you. And that if you'll trust in Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, you can have eternal life. That is the way to be healed from the marring that took place back in the garden. But the Bible tells us, and I think this is true, I think we can look at this. There are at least four different causes of this marring that happens in the hand of God. Let me address them with you, would you? And to help us out, they're all going to begin with the letter S. They're not going to come up on the board for you on the PowerPoint, but let me give them to you. The first thing is the word service. Would you write that down? The word service. Sometimes serving the Lord taxes us to the point that we need restoration. And some of you are too tired right now to say amen to that. You've been... You've been serving the Lord so hard, so long. Maybe this is the first time. We have some people that only make it into church, into the worship hour, once every month or so because they're busy serving. It's not that they're not in church. It's they're somewhere else. They're over working with the kids in the nursery or over in the children's church or they're busy doing something else. And, and so they're working and service sometimes will bring us to the point that we're in need of restoration. It can be very draining on us. Romans chapter 11 and verse number 3. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I alone am left and they seek my life. Some of you might remember that that is a quote from Elijah. You might remember that Elijah said, God, I'm the only one serving you. Now God said that's not necessarily true. I got 7,000 more over here. But isn't that the way we feel sometimes? I'm the only one. God, I'm the only one. If everybody else over there at that church would just shape up, then we get things done around. Is that sometimes what happens in our thinking and in our life? We start thinking, man, if I just need a little bit of help. And indeed, many hands do make a light load. And it is difficult sometimes to get people to serve because they've served before. You volunteer one week and suddenly you're there till Jesus comes. <laughs> Am I right? 
And some of you have learned that, so you're not going to volunteer again. You say, I don't know about I don't know about that. Service will do that to you if you're not careful. Did you know that 1,500 pastors, 1,500 pastors every month quit the ministry? It is this thing called burnout. Now, if pastors are getting burnout, I'm telling you lay people who serve get burnout. We may not always call it that. We may call it frustration. We may end up with a bitterness. We may look at it and begin to look at people differently because they're not helping out. And we expect them to do. But service, sometimes just serving, just doing what God has called you to do will bring you to the point that you need restoration. Well, then there's an obvious second point to this, and that is sin. Sin will drain us. One of the most laborious things in your life is when you're living out of the will of God. One of the most taxing and tiring things you will ever deal with is when you have got something in your life that you are hiding from your spouse, hiding from your children, hiding from your parents, hiding from somebody at church. When you are living a life that is deceptive, it is one that is taxing and discouraging and draining. And you will find yourself in dire need of restoration. We've got to have the Holy Spirit. And that's sometimes what he does right away is he points that out to us. And what sin will do is it will rob us of the joy of our salvation. In his repentance prayer, in his repentance psalm, David cries out in Psalm 51 and verse 12, Restore, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. There's something wonderfully refreshing when we come before God, hear me now, there is something wonderfully refreshing when we come before God and we say, God, it's time for me to deal with this now. The Holy Spirit has put his finger on it. He showed me I've got to deal with this thing. And when you deal with that and you confess that and you get that thing right, man, it's a wonderful thing. A load is lifted off of you and you feel like you could just walk on air. And I'd encourage you today to understand if you're serving the Lord, you got to be filling as you are giving. Amen? You've got to fill the tank. If you're going to go very far, you've got to have gas to do it. Am I right? So if, if you're going to serve God, you've got to be actively filling the tank. Your devotional time, your prayer time, your Bible reading time, all of that is important. I was asked a question not long ago. I was interviewed by one of the people in our church working on their master's degree. And they asked me, they said, Pastor, what do you do to help keep you focused in ministry? And I tell them, listen, primarily it is my morning time with the Lord. If I don't have that, I, I, am, I am at wit's end, man. If I don't have my time with the Lord and, and start out every morning, Morning, where I spend that time with him in my little study at my home with my little coffee pot. Coffee's important. <laughs> I know, I know. You can talk to me about addiction to caffeine later. But the idea is simply this, that we've got to have our time with God so that we can fill in order to give. And if there is sin involved, we've got to take care of it or we're going to wear ourselves, slap out, and we're going to find ourselves in need. And then there's just situations. I, I, I mentioned this as a, third, as a third means, that situations, daily life is taxing. Life is difficult. Life is hard. I was playing a little bit of golf over in uh, Gulfport, Mississippi uh, a couple of weeks ago um, with a pastor there and, and we were in a little missions tournament thing they had going through the mission conference and, 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 and the guy with us had hit the ball really strange. He said, I don't know why it does that to me every now and then. I said, well, there's a name for that. It's called golf. 
right? I don't really know what the definition of the word is, but it means inconsistency as far as I'm concerned. You hit the ball and it does funny things. You don't really know what it's going to do sometimes. And, and the idea is this, that life is not easy, man. Down here, it's not. And if we think somehow it is supposed to always be easy, it's not. Here's the thing. God didn't promise you everything was going to go smoothly. He just promised you that when the winds do blow and the storms do come, you will not endure them by yourself. He will always be with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. He has promised you that. So situations can be taxing, man. They can be difficult. They can drain us. And then last of all, let's not leave this out. This is very important. Satan himself. The fourth cause of our need for restoration. Yeah, he's the one that tempts us. He's the one that brings sin into our life. He's the one that knocks on our door and invites us to go and do things we shouldn't do. He's the one that causes us to get discouraged while we serve. He's the one that causes life situations and circumstances for us to focus on those and always see what we do not have rather than what we do have. But spiritual warfare is a major player in this thing of discouragement and depression and in our need for restoration. We need to ask ourselves from time to time, you know, when I'm getting into the point that I'm in right now, maybe in need of restoration, ask yourself, what role has the devil had in this thing? Am I going to give him the victory in this? Or am I going to turn around and let God have the victory and the glory out of this thing? And I'm going to deal with these matters, whatever they may be, I'm going to deal with these matters. Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 10. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. I find that a remarkable passage because Jesus himself, enduring the temptation that Satan brings to him, in Matthew 4, the Bible says, after the devil has left him, uh, then the Bible says angels came and ministered to him. The word ministered is the word diaconia. We get our word deacon from that and it means to service to take care of to sustain to provide what is needed at the time now if Jesus had to have a time of restoration then I say to you ladies and gentlemen do not think it's strange that we need one too that maybe what we ought to do is just call out to the Holy Spirit and say God I'm in need to be restored I need the work of the Holy Spirit to restore me. So I want you to see not only the potter's hand, but I want you to see the potter's heart. Will you take a look at that with me, please? The potter's heart. The Bible says in verse number 4 of Jeremiah 18, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again. He made it again. Now, I'm, I, I, I don't want to be overly simple in this, in this thought with you. I'm not trying to make a big deal out of something small. But I want you to consider with me that he didn't have to do that. I want you to consider with me that when the clay had become marred, when the vessel had become marred, he had the option of throwing it out. Amen? Now, don't take this personally. But he has the option of throwing us out. But he decided instead to make us again. I'm going to take you, he said. And I'm going to spend some time on you. I'm not going to discard you. I'm going to develop you. 
I'm not going to throw you out. I'm going to make out of you what I want to make out of you. And that's his heart. His heart was to make of us new. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Have you not heard? Has it, has it somehow missed your conscious mind that God does this? That he provides strength when we need strength? That he can restore when we need restoration? If we wait upon the Lord, that's an interesting phrase. We sang that song a moment ago, and I was intrigued by that. Um, Pastor T and those that selected the songs today did not know what I was preaching on. They didn't have a copy of my notes, and it's always interesting to me when God does that. The word wait on the Lord, by the way, that term, it's not referring to when you are waiting at the doctor's office. Don't you love that? My, my mom talked to me the other day. She said, I went to see the doctor, and I had an appointment at 2.20, and she said, at 3.30, I told him I was leaving. <laughs> she did she got up and told the lady of the day I'm leaving I've been here I had an appointment at 2.30 and, and, and it's 3.30 and I'm leaving and so 2.20 I mean and, and so anyway she, they, they caught her when she was getting in the car and they said come back in here we'll see you right now and uh, uh, she actually looked at one of the other people in there who had been waiting and said maybe you ought to try what I did <laughs> she did so we're not talking about waiting as though you're waiting in a doctor's office. We're talking about waiting like when you go to Cracker Barrel and the person comes over to you and says, Hello, my name is, and I'll be your waitress. I'll wait on you, or I'll be your waiter. I'll wait on you. It's talking about actively serving God. That's what it's talking about. And so the Bible says that's how you're going to get strength, that, that relationship between you and God. So be actively involved in his work and what he'd have for you. I see him diligent at work on his wheel, don't you? fashioning you and taking care of you. Romans chapter 9 and verse 20, the Bible records, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me thus? Why have you made me like this? I find in this text, we, we see that the potter made the vessel again. And notice what it says, As it seemed good to the potter to make. I don't find the potter asking the clay, what do you think I should do with you? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to make you into? I see instead the potter having control over the clay and telling the clay what he's going to do with it. And the heart of God comes through. The desire of God to do this. John chapter 15 and verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Some of you have heard this before, but let me give it to you. Because I'm afraid this passage of scripture is often misproclaimed. And it's often misunderstood. When the Bible says if you're not bearing fruit, he's going to take you away. Picture a a, a vine off of a a grapevine. and, And that vine has found its way down to the ground. And because of the rains and because of various things, it's been covered in dirt. And the Bible says, here is a a branch, here is something that is coming off and and because it is low and in the vineyard, it does not get the sunlight because the dirt is all over it and it needs to be cleaned. It cannot bear fruit. And so the word takes away in the Greek is the word arrow. It's from where we get our word aeroplane, the old term aeroplane. And it means to lift, to lift up. What the Bible is saying is this, that God takes you, he doesn't cut you off because you haven't borne fruit. He instead lifts you up and cleans you off and puts you on the top so that you can get the light you need and the nutrients you need so that you'll bear fruit. He doesn't discard, he develops. He makes again the vessel that had become marred. You say, I'm of no use. Some people feel that way from time to time. I don't know how God can use me. You ever looked at the people that God does use? You ever looked at them? I and mean, we could go through a whole, a whole list, man. Oh, Moses, he had murder on his resume. Huh? Look at Paul the Apostle. He had, he had men and women and children arrested. He had men and women put to death by his word, by his testimony. And God turns around and uses him in a mighty way. Can you imagine we tell ourselves sometimes, well, God can't, he can't do anything with, no, he can take the vessel and by his own heart's desire, he can make you new. He can do something with you that no one else can do with you, something you can't do with you. When I think about this, it leads me to point number three with you. I want you to notice the potter's help. The potter's help. I want you to note with me what the clay could do without the potter being involved. You know what the answer to that is, don't you? Nothing. Yeah, Nothing. That's exactly what the answer is. There sits a lump of clay. That's you and that's me. And there it sits. And without God being involved, taking us and shaping us and molding us and pressing us and causing us to remain flexible, we could not be what he wants us to be. We could do nothing on our own. Nothing. But he helps. He crafts. He makes. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the Valley of Dry Bones in the book of Ezekiel. It's one of the only things I understand in the book of Ezekiel. (laughs) Oh, I've read it and I understand. I know the temple. I know all that. It's making more sense to me after 35 years of reading it and studying it. But it's a difficult book. And uh, and so we find the Valley of Dry Bones and the prophet. uh, Let me read the story to you. Uh, 37, Ezekiel 37, beginning in verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. Did you catch that? In the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in an open valley and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? 
I love that story, man. I can just picture. Sometimes when I read the scripture, in my mind anyway, it just comes to life. And I can see the prophet walking down. And in this huge valley, all these dry bones. And I can see him look at them. And I can hear the voice of the Lord say, can these bones live? And the prophet wisely turns the question to the Lord. He said, so I answered, O Lord God, you know. You know what he's saying, don't you? I don't know. And by the way, that's not a bad thing to say when you don't know. There's something in the heart of man and the pride of man that refuses to say that. But if it's true, just say it. I don't know. Tell your, tell your friends when, when, you, when you talk to them about the Lord and you want to invite them to your church and they got all those theological questions. If you don't know the answer, look at them and say, I don't know. Nothing wrong with that. God will show it to us. He'll tell us about it. But he knows. God knows. Hey, I don't know, but I can take you to somebody who does know. Amen? He said, I don't know. You know, Lord. You know, Lord. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you. Now, let me pause a moment. This is very important. Because we're talking about the restoring work of the Holy Spirit of God. And the term used for the Spirit of God is the word pneuma in the Greek. It's, it's a term that means the breath of God, the wind of God. And I want you to see this because it is the Spirit of God that comes upon the dry bones that restores them. The breath of God. Hear the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and breath in you. You shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 7 says, so I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together. Bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. I will put my spirit in you, verse 14 says, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. You know what the Lord's looking for today? Listen carefully. I think what he wants to do with us is what he did in the Valley of Dry Bones. I think he wants to take some of us who have become dry and maybe brittle and maybe missing the power of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. Maybe we've come to that place where we would fit right in with the Valley of Dry Bones. And the Bible says the Spirit of God can sweep over you. And what he'll do is, listen, he'll raise up a mighty army. Well, that's what we need. Now we need to raise up a mighty army. An army for the Lord that will serve God and, and, and march at his, at his command and, and, and fight as he, as he tells us to and, and do the things he'd have us to do. And it's by the power of God, the breath of God, he helps us come to this place of being restored. And then last of all, I want to show you this. Number four in our notes, the potter's hope. The potter's hope. The potter does not make anything without a purpose. I want you to think about that for just a moment. 
How many of you have done pottery at some time in your history? You've made a little ashtray for your parents. Make that? Mine was all messed up, man. I don't know why, but all messed up. And uh, it's a crazy thing. You little pottery, you do the little thing, and, and, and you make that little thing. We, the potter makes nothing without a purpose. He's got a purpose. Listen, if he's taken you and he has remade you, he's in the process of making you, then he's got a purpose for you. And later in the same book of Jeremiah, and you're familiar with this verse, no doubt, chapter 29 and verse 11, probably some of you have it memorized, maybe it's your life verse. A lot of people commit this to memory and make it their life verse. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. In the book of Colossians, Paul the Apostle makes this statement, chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled, listen to this, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You know what Paul's saying? Listen, this is an important thing for you to do. It's an important thing for you to pray that you might know, that you might have knowledge of the will of God for your life. Now, the will of God is not something God's hiding from you. I think people sometimes get all mixed up about this thing. Sometimes God will express to you what his will is and you don't like it, so you're asking for another alternative, and that's a mistake. That's a mistake. We ought to be actively seeking to do what it is he's created us to do. Why did he fashion you the way he fashioned you? Why did he take you at this point in your life with all of the circumstances that you have had in your life? Why has he taken all of those things that have pressed on you and pulled at you and, and shaped you? Why has he made you thus? Because he has a purpose for you. And it is a purpose for you that the other person next to you doesn't have. They've been shaped differently than you have. They've been pressed differently. They have a different set of circumstances. So use what God has done with you for his honor and his glory in a very unique way that only you can. That only you can. When I think about this remaking, I, I find it interesting in the scripture that the clay has to remain pliable in the hand of the potter. It's not uncommon for the potter, and many of you have seen this done, maybe even practiced it yourself, that the clay will be moistened from time to time. The potter will reach over into a bowl of water and grab some, uh, some out and drip it on or splash it on and, and make, the, make the clay pliable in the hand of God. So I ask you today, ladies and gentlemen, as we close out this thought on the potter's house and how the Spirit of God renews us, I ask you this, are you pliable in his hands? Are you remaining flexible for the will of God? Have you already determined what you won't do? What you will do and what you won't do for the cause of Christ? Or are you pliable so that God comes to you and he says to you, I have a hope for you. I have a plan for you. Do you present yourself with this, this spirit about you? God, whatever your future for me is, let it be my future for me. Whatever your plan is for my future, let that be my plan for my future. Whatever that is. Use me in that way, what you've made me for. The things of God are spiritually discerned, we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The natural man, verse 14 says, 
does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. They're spiritually discerned. That is, the Holy Spirit of God can show you and teach you and, and he will restore you and use you in a way that only he can. We are told something else in 1 Thessalonians that I want to close with you on. Verse 16 through 19. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Verse 19 says, quench not the Spirit. The word quench is very important. Do not quench the spirit. The word quench means to extinguish. The literal term that is used is when there is a fire going, that you put it out. When you quench the Holy Spirit. And I want to say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that sometimes even in a service like this, the Spirit of God begins to mold us and make us. He's moistened us and made us pliable. And He wants to restore us. He wants to make us into what He wants to make us into. And if you're not careful, you'll begin resisting that. The Bible calls that quenching. You begin to put out the fire. Let it blaze, man. Let it run. Let the Holy Spirit have his way. And let us come before him today, whether in the seat or at the altar, and let us let him know we're in need of restoration. We want that fresh breathing. We want that fresh wind. We, we want that restoration of our heart, our life, our soul. Maybe you're in need of physical strength, spiritual strength. One relates to the other. Maybe you need to come before God and just say, God, I, I just need your touch. Maybe some of you are in a position that I've been in before and maybe some of you can relate to. You don't even know how to pray. You ever been that exhausted? You ever been that put out? So confused? I got good news for you. The Bible says when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray for you. Amen. So lay before him today. Come before him today and just say, God, I'm not sure what to say to you. So I ask the Holy Spirit to pray on my behalf. He understands. He understands. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we come to you today and we ask your blessings. Lord, we have requested at the beginning of the service that your Holy Spirit work and move in our hearts. And I believe you have. Lord, I pray today that we'd present ourselves to you. Pliable, flexible, willing to let you mold and make us into what you want us to be. And Lord, I just pray for restoration today. Lord, maybe there are some here today in deep despair and their face doesn't show it. Maybe we can't recognize it. But your Holy Spirit has identified it. And today, people will come before you. And they will request you, God, to breathe upon them. To refresh. To restore. God, we thank you for not giving up on us. We thank you, God, that you do not discard, but you choose to develop. We thank you for your patience and your love. We ask now that you bless this time in Jesus' name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the invitation is open. If you have a matter you'd like to pray about, we want to encourage you to come as the Lord leads. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord as your Savior, but you'd like to find out more about that, We'd be happy to take the Bible and show you how you can trust Christ today, how you can have eternal life. It'll only take a moment of your time. 
We have some counselors that will be ready to pray with you and talk with you. If you'll just let us know. Otherwise, we're just going to let you pray and return back to your seat. Many people, every church service, do that very thing here at East Point. So if you feel led to do that, maybe grab somebody by the hand. Maybe somebody you know that's having a time of despair. You need to go to that person today. Would you, would you seek them out, hunt them out and say, I want you to come to the altar. I want to pray with you. What a wonderful thing that would be. Praying for one another, encouraging one another. Let's, let's stand if you would with heads bowed and eyes closed. All who are able, stand with me. May God bless you as you respond to him today.